Saturday, we are going to be building the retaining wall. I have all the block. I have all the supplies. I'm going to be putting up strings this week. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and I will not make any jokes that have to do with a former president. You draw your own conclusions on that one. All right. Um, it'll be beautiful, though. Okay. Um, there was a kindergarten teacher in a Sunday school. She was observing her her classroom as the children drew pictures. It was it was a coloring time, and and one little girl was particularly um, engrossed in her work, and she went to see what she was drawing, and. And uh, couldn't tell what it was, and she asked the girl what what she was working so hard on, what she was drawing. The little girl said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher's eyes got big, and she said, but sweetie, no one knows what God looks like. Not deterred in the slightest, the little girl continued drawing and said, well, they certainly will in a minute. (laughs) That just sounded to me like my six-year-old, so I that was... That was worth sharing. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. If you are taking notes today and writing the title at the top, I have been rebuked for not giving you the titles of my message, and so I am, I am sorry. The title today is, They Had Been With Jesus. They Had Been With Jesus, all right? Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to take you all the way through 17 today. Are you ready? Here we go. But as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which uh, was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing there with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they, but then they ordered them to leave the council, and they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? 
For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Lord, we are asking for your blessing as we study your word today. Would you make your word come alive to us? Would you speak to us directly where our hearts need to hear you? Would you give me grace to speak what, uh, what you have for us today and, and the things that are just me and not from you, would you let those just go away and not stick in anybody's memory? But Holy Spirit, instruct us today. Teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a lot going on here. Just to, to backtrack a little bit, I want you to remember what the setting is. Um, Peter and John went to the temple for the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. They passed by, they were going to pass by a, a lame beggar and uh, he asked them for alms and they responded, we don't have any money, but we do have something better. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And, and he immediately walks and then he's running and jumping and leaping and causing a scene and, and uh, raising a stir. And so like tons of people right there in the, in the temple court are attracted to the commotion, what's going on. Peter has an opportunity to preach the gospel. Uh, he was really kind and gentle in his approach, whereas what we just read, he says, and you crucified him. He also said that to, to everybody else, but he said, but you did it in ignorance, right? You did it in ignorance. He gave no such, uh, he didn't let these guys off the hook when he's talking to the leaders. Many men, uh, it says men were added to their number because in those times they would just count people by the men, which was often the heads of households. So it doesn't count the women and children, but there were thousands of people who were saved because of that miracle right there. Well, because of the commotion, um, now we pick up here in this, in this uh, portion of scripture, because of the commotion, they got the attention of all the people who you don't want to get their attention, right? That's, but as, as we see with Peter and John, they're not really too concerned about that. Now, if I had been there, I would maybe want to do things on the sly a little bit, maybe avoid getting in trouble with certain people. They had no such reservations. They went in their guns blazing and, and, uh, and they got the attention. So who's involved here in this part of the story? There's the priests, there's the temple guard, there's the Sadducees, Later on in the story, the high priest and the family of the high priest. There's the apostles, Peter and John. And there's the man who we will name formerly known as Lame. That will be his name. The man formerly known as Lame. Okay. The priests. The priests were likely upset that there was no one attending their afternoon sacrifice service. They had a church service scheduled at three o'clock every day and they were doing this thing and suddenly there's nobody there because they're all out checking out the, the man formerly known as lame. The, uh, so they, they were coming out to see what was going on. They're upset. Um, and they grabbed the, the captain of the temple guard. The temple guard didn't like commotion or the chance of riots, so they're, they're in on this. The temple guards, there were 240 of these guys on duty at all times. 
There was 10 at each of the entrances around the temple and at key locations. Their job was to keep order and to make sure no one got in who wasn't supposed to be there, like this man when he was lame. He was not allowed in the temple, and they would have been the ones enforcing that. They were also there for crowd control. The Jews were a rowdy bunch of people. They were uh, prone to riots and protests, and it didn't take much from a, uh, an imposing ruler to do something in the temple grounds or around the temple that was profane in their eyes and was offensive, and they, I mean, you had a fit immediately when that happened. So the temple guard was the Jewish side of this, trying to, trying to keep things at bay, trying to keep a lid on things so that the Romans didn't have to get involved. When the Romans got involved, it's not good. I mean, it's really not good. So it, it, it behooved them to keep a lid on things, to keep things under control. Crowd control was one of their main jobs. So the captain of the guard, seeing this commotion, not knowing what's going on, would have likely grabbed a whole bunch of the guards from various places and descended on this because we can't have we cannot have a riot we cannot have a riot i don't know if you've ever looked at uh at maps of of this uh of the temple mount and the area around there but connected to the temple complex was a roman fortress the fortress of antonia and so this is where the garrison of Roman soldiers lived. This is where, they, where their home was. And so we were seconds away from Roman uh, takeover of a situation at any moment. So the temple guard had their work cut out for them. There was also the Sadducees. The Sadducees are mentioned here. They're really ticked off that the apostles are preaching the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in, in life after death. They don't believe in the spirit, really, uh, of anything. I don't really know how they believe in God, but they do somehow. Uh, anyways, um, but they do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they are grieved that the apostles are preaching the resurrection of the dead. Not only are they ticked off they're preaching it today, but they've heard these guys saying the same thing for several weeks now. So they've kind of reached a tipping point, a boiling point where that's it. This, this has gone on long enough. We're going to put, we're going to put this to, to bed. Then there's the apostles, Peter and John. They're just following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And they have been through this radical transformation of Pentecost, where they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. They've been given boldness. Peter, who always opened his mouth at the wrong time before and said the wrong things before, has suddenly got a gift for delivering the gospel in very clear, concise, direct ways, anointed by the Spirit to do so. They've already been ministering for probably about three hours at this point. Since the healing of the the lame the man formerly known as lame they are they they've been talking preaching we just have a snippet of what peter says but but it says that they put them in jail for the night because it was too late to do anything about it that means we've reached at least probably six o'clock so they've been going at this for a couple hours by the time the guards arrived to arrest them now there's the, also in the story still is the man formerly known as lame. That poor guy. 
I'm glad he had just been healed and he was excited about what was going on because he got a free night in jail for this. He, um, we, we know that because the next day when he's on, when they're on trial, he's there standing with them. Um, and so they, they just, it was too late to do anything that day. So they put them all in a holding cell, probably somewhere there in the temple complex. <clears throat> Again, they don't want to involve Rome. So they're not going to the fortress Antonia over there. They just put them in a holding cell over here until the next morning. Imagine what a great time they must've had that night in that cell. I mean, they, Later on, it gets rougher. They get they get beat up and that kind of thing. But they hadn't been yet. <clears throat> um, Peter and John must have been explaining all of Scripture to this guy, just like Jesus had done with them. They must have been uh, <clears throat> recounting the stories of other healings that Jesus had done and talking about who Jesus was and what he had been like. They were connecting the dots for him. Uh, he he had put his faith in Jesus. He just maybe hadn't he hadn't followed him for for three years. He didn't know a lot of stuff. And they must have been giving him the story of the Great Commission. What's going on with the church? Why are we here in the temple? What's going on? What is it not good enough to just believe in Jesus and and do your own thing? So they were explaining all of this to him. I don't know if it was something like Paul and Silas must have been in, in their cell years later as they're singing songs and hymns, but. There's an excitement, and they're probably not just sleeping. Probably not just sleeping, which makes the story of the next day all the more fun. Anybody ever been a little rummy from lack of sleep? All the moms said yes. And maybe others too. Scripture says they laid hands on them. Now I want to distinguish between laying hands on for healing and laying hands on to put you in jail for the night. This was uh, probably a little bit more like a daughter's father wants to do when the young men come calling. We're talking about we're talking about an emotional response to something, not praying for somebody for healing. We lay hands on on people and pray for pray for the sick. That's what we're supposed to do. This was different, maybe a little rougher, maybe a little gruffer. This was, this was uh, laying on of hands, as Pastor Scott at Federal Way would say, suddenly and uh, with repetition. All right. They laid hands on them and put them in jail. The next morning, it says that Annas, the high priest, was there. Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander all who were of high priestly descent. So Annas had been the high priest and Rome removed him. And when they removed him, it was, it was because they didn't like some of the things he was saying about Rome. But to the Israelites, the high priest position was a, life, uh, a lifelong appointment. You were kind of like our Supreme Court now, <laughs> until, until they retire, they're there. Um, this was... In your lineage, if you were Aaron's descendant, um, you were in line for this, and you were there until you died. Well, so he never really lost power in the sight of the Israelites, so he managed to get his sons and son-in-laws into that position so that he was always still the guy in charge. 
it was a, it was a mob family basically. Um, he had his generals and no, um, but he managed to negotiate his, his and work his kinfolk into the office. Um, he was always the power behind that seat. Now, these were the same rulers that were involved sometime earlier in the trial of Jesus. These were the same people who decided that it was better that one man should die for the people. The ones who knew that Jesus was Messiah better than anybody else and still decided they wanted to do their thing and not follow Messiah. They ask a question to Peter and John here in this moment, by what power or in what name have you done this? And this was a lawyer's question. This was a a question well-crafted, well-worded to reference the precedent that they were hoping to to, uh, fall back on. They were not seeking truth. They already knew what the truth was and they they weren't interested in truth. They were attempting to trap the apostles in their own words and get them to condemn themselves like they had successfully, at least in their minds, uh, done with Jesus himself. They got Jesus to say, as you say, I am the son of God. That was enough for them. They could, they could, according to the law, if it wasn't true, they could kill him. Here in this case, they're getting them, they're trying to get them to do the same thing. They're, they're using Deuteronomy 13 as their precedent. And this passage back in Deuteronomy 13 says that if someone comes into the Israelite camp or to the land of Israel and performs signs and wonders in order to draw the people to another God, they must be put to death. And anyone also who listens to them must be put to death. In fact, there's provisions for entire cities to be slain and burned if that city decides to follow another God. Yahweh was serious with the Israelites at this point. So they're looking at this as their their way to shut this thing down. If they can differentiate between Yahweh and whatever's going on here. So, so that's what's behind when they're saying, in what name or by what power are you doing this? Peter's not having any of that. And... Uh, he knows that, that this is all the same God and that Jesus is God's Messiah, Yahweh's Messiah. So Luke says that Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this is, this is a, a really cool moment, but this is not like the Holy Spirit coming on him like somebody in the Old Testament. You read uh, stories of, with David or with Samson or... Um, other other judges in the Old Testament, and it says the, the Spirit of the Lord came on them for a purpose, for a task, and they did that. That's not what's happening here. Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and was working in this daily. This is not a repeat of Pentecost, but a continuation of it. Peter was already filled, but now as a filled vessel, he was able to hear and to speak the word of the Lord in the moments with power and clarity. And this was way more than a man's power. This is way more than, as we see, an education can get you. Also in this passage, it reminds us of, of uh, what Jesus said 
where, where did he say? Matthew 10. Uh, but when they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And this is a prime example of that. Prime example of this happening. So Peter then turns the whole trial on its head. They're trying to trap them in their words, and Peter is, is going to throw it back in their face. And he says that, no, 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 it's the name of Jesus. You, you guys remember Jesus, the one that you killed, the one that you uh, rejected as Messiah. Well, he is Yahweh's Messiah, and you killed him, and so now it's on you. So now we're going to talk about you and what you've done. There's an, um, he is, Jesus is inextricably linked to Yahweh. He is the Messiah, so you can just forget Deuteronomy 13. Just forget that. Your argument has gone to pieces. What had begun as a, as a formal trial to see if Peter and John had committed a religious crime became a pronouncement of God's judgment on those leaders for rejecting the chief cornerstone of Israel. Peter says, you think we messed up? <laughs> oh man, you are the ones who ought to be shaking in your boots right now. And then just for good measure, he adds verse 12, no other name under heaven. This is the way, the only way that salvation will come. So there. He uses the words uh, salvation. The Greek word for salvation is sozo. Sozo in that, in that articulation of the word means I save or to save. But it also means to heal, to make whole. And because the whole catalyst of the situation they're looking at was a man getting healed... Peter brings healing into the picture. There is no other name under heaven given by which men may be saved, healed, delivered, made whole. So Jesus is not only our source of eternal salvation, he's also our source of healing. There's only one way you will ever be saved or you will ever be healed in the way that you need, and that is through Jesus. The leaders didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to answer them in that moment, so they needed, um, they needed a break. So they sent, they sent those three out, Peter, John, and the man formerly known as Lame, and they went outside. And it says that they were amazed at how well they handled themselves. They were amazed at the words that they spoke. They were struck with the way that they came across, so confident and powerful. They couldn't argue with the results of the healing because the evidence was also standing right in front of them. All of Jerusalem knew about this because it happened in the temple. So they decided to let them off with a stern warning to shut your pie hole. <laughs> it was basically, hey, you need that's enough of that. You're causing a disturbance. And uh, I love the story. And there's another one coming up here in, in a little bit in Acts, very similar, where these two, again, are before these same leaders, and they're less nice the next time. But this is a beautiful piece of the narrative of the early church. 
I said this in a different setting yesterday, but context is everything. Context is everything. If this is just about some dudes that that got an, an isolated event where even if it was from Yahweh, you know, an isolated event, men come into the temple, heal somebody, and that would be one thing. But this is not an isolated event. This is a planned and orchestrated move of the Holy Spirit citywide at this point. Thousands of people are putting their faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working. He's working to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Everything that's going on is about that mission. And what was that? Preach the gospel to every nation and make disciples. Bring people into relationship with the Father. Teach them everything I've, I've commanded you because, so that they can be disciples, not just mental believers. Everything that was happening was about accomplishing that mission. The Holy Spirit was working in and through the apostles and believers to do that thing. To do that thing. So this healing is in that context. The Holy Spirit has orchestrated this moment for that purpose. To accomplish more of that mission. Right there in the temple courts. It wasn't an accident. That's where it was. With thousands of people around. That wasn't an accident either. And then with all the authorities getting ticked and, and the apostles getting arrested, that was, that was part of the plan. And Peter delivers Yahweh's guilty verdict to them as well, delivering the word of the Lord. Context is everything. But what these crooked and perverse leaders became aware of in that moment even if they missed the whole guilty verdict, what they became aware of, what caught their attention was that these men had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference. That's what gave this validity. That's what weighed on them. They took note. They realized they began to think of these men in terms of holy smokes. These guys are just like Jesus. Verse 13 says, now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Their background was plain. Everybody knew who these guys were. They were from Northern Galilee. Nobody great comes from that area. There's no great schools in that area. They were fishermen from Northern Galilee. The only thing lower than a fisherman was a shepherd. Like this was, they were not high on the totem pole in society here. They never received training in the, in the Torah beyond their, their uh, you know, how every child was raised. They never went to any theological school um, in Jerusalem where some great rabbi had taught them. They, uh, yet they carried themselves with the authority that would come with that kind of thing. Does this sound like anyone else the Bible describes? Like maybe Jesus? Jesus also did not receive special training or go to theological school. He also was from Northern Galilee. He also had not been taught by any rabbi. Yet at the age of 12, the teachers in the temple were astounded by his understanding and grasp of scriptures. When he taught in the synagogues, the people were amazed that he spoke as one with 
authority. So these guys were just like Jesus. And their opponents, their enemies, took note of that. They made that connection. They saw the similarity. Ariel, I'll have you come and play. So the religious leaders connected those dots and saw that these men must be his disciples. Peter and John reminded them of Jesus. This is what we want to be as disciples. This is the model that we want to follow as disciples. We want people to know that we have been with Jesus because of the way we carry ourselves, because of the way we speak, because of the authority with which we deliver the gospel. Jesus did this in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he ministered. The apostles did the same thing in the power of the Holy Spirit by the same means that Jesus did. And now you and I can do the same things in the same power of the Holy Spirit, just like they did, just like Jesus did. It is true that in today's world, most people you run into have not met Jesus in the flesh. So they can't draw that direct comparison. They've not experienced that. The high priest and the Sanhedrin had. They had something to compare it to. But people can sense the presence of God. They can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is at work in their hearts as well as yours. Speaking. Encouraging guiding them, pointing them to Jesus through any way available. Just like he did in this instance, the Holy Spirit will orchestrate situations. We call them divine appointments. Where he will use you to speak the truth and the good news. He will use me. Now, logic would lead us to conclude that being with Jesus has the evidence like this. It becomes evident to the people around us. So if that's the case, then then also not being with Jesus would remove that notable quality from us. In other words, there ain't nothing going on to catch someone's attention. At the end of this passage, as we read this part of the narrative, it, it encourages me, it convicts me to spend more time with the one I want to be like. I find myself wanting to be with Jesus more. And I want the Holy Spirit to work through me more. I want people to take note of me, not because of me, but because I have been with Jesus. Wouldn't be to my credit. It's just the Holy Spirit doing the work. I'm simply making myself available for him by pursuing Jesus and knowing him more. It's not about doing anything great for God. We get our ego involved so quickly. 
if I do this and I do this, then then I'll accomplish this and I'll make a name for myself. And sometimes that's even a subconscious process. It's about what he wants to accomplish through us, through his people to accomplish the mission. Because just like then, the context is everything now. We're still on mission. People still need Jesus. And this is how God has set it up to work is us through us. I think we could all, myself included, make more effort to spend time with Jesus so that people would notice that. Do you want people to notice that you have been with God? I do. We should note that not everybody likes noticing that you have been with God. But they will notice nonetheless. As a church in a gathering of disciples, we need to encourage each other in this. We need to push each other in this. Scripture says that we should urge one another and spur one another on to good works and to follow the Lord. There's plenty of room for the best of us to grow and so we all start at the same place. We simply come to him telling him that we want to know him, that we want to be closer to him and then make space and time to do so. We want to be people where The world around us looks at us and says, they have been with Jesus. That's what we want to be. Let's pray. Lord, what an awesome story out of Acts here. And and we're inspired by what we're reading about Peter and John and, and this instance, this healing and and the, the whole situation, it's, it's a wonderful story. And, and Holy Spirit, today you're speaking to us. If all scripture is God-breathed and useful for our instruction and, and our training, then we want to be trained by this today. We want the world around to know that we have been with you. And that's not going to happen if we haven't been with you. So we're asking for your grace, Lord, to, to be on us. Keep drawing us into the secret place. Remind us when we can make time. Would you help us to prioritize our days and our, our routines so as to spend time with the one we want to be like, to spend time with the one we want to reflect. Jesus, that the world would know we have been with you. in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's okay if that one just lingers on you for a little bit. This is something that as a church, we will continue to to hit. We have to grow. We have to move in this direction. It's vital to our mission. As you go this week, may the power and presence of the Holy Spirit fill you and with the people around you begin to notice and begin to recognize that you have been with Jesus. Amen. Amen.